And a very good morning to each and every one of you. So good to see you all. And welcome to all those who will be watching from home virtually. March the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2021. We welcome everyone to our service. Did anyone else wake up at six to the sound of a rocket ascending to the heavens? Our opening song this morning is How Majestic Is Your Name. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, we praise your name. Oh Lord, we magnify your name, Prince of Peace, mighty God. for this day when we can come study a portion of your word sing songs and praise to you and learn more about how Jesus wants us to live it's just a wonderful time when we can come together either in person or over the internet and we thank you for all that capability Father, we have many in our congregation who are sick, and we ask you to be with each and every one of them. Be with Henry as he tries to get into Addington Place next to his loved one. We ask you to give him whatever healing he needs in his, his wound. And Father, we ask you to be uh, with the nobles, lost a grandson we don't have a lot of detail but we know that they lost a grandson and father we ask you to be with Nancy as she fights some blood clots in her lungs and just be with both of the Reicherts they both need your healing hand many others I can't think of all of them right now but you know who they are father and many times we need your healing power over and above what we are able to do down here on earth father we ask you to be with Mike and Sue and Matt and Amy and the work they do in this congregation and in this community 
Give them strength more and more they need it. We ask you to be with our elders and deacons who work so hard to keep this congregation moving in the proper direction. We ask you to please be with our first responders who respond in emergencies when we need them most. With our military that keeps us safe. And Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. And please, help us grow closer to him each and every day. When this service is over, Father, and we go out into the community, let our light shine to show you to the world. We need to make sure the world understands the joy of being a Christian. Father, go with us now through this service. Guide and protect us, and in the end, please save us and take us home with you. All these prayers we ask in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Our next song will prepare our minds for the observance of the Lord's Supper by Christ Redeemed. By Christ redeemed in Christ restored, we keep the Testament for several weeks now and uh, looks at how God is faithful, the promises he kept in the beginning, how he keeps those promises and ultimately he'll keep that promise with his son Jesus that he sends to this earth and uh, his son would uh, offer himself as a sacrifice, die, be buried, defeat death and uh, be here for some witnesses and then go back to heaven. Um, that's how he ultimately does that. Um, a lot of times in the Old Testament, as, as God keeps his promise, as one step of it's re, uh, revealed, maybe as they cross the Canaan, maybe as God wins a battle or whatever, they would erect a monument. They would take some stones and stack them together so they wouldn't forget. Not so much just the ones that were there that day they remembered it, and they would always remember that's where God kept his promise, and that's where God pulled us through, and as God is faithful. But for generations to come, they could come back and say, 
right here. This is, the, this is where it all happened, and this is why we remember. This time, we've set aside time to remember. Time to remember a sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus, on our behalf. The, uh, the wages that we earn with sin are death, and uh, we don't have to have that with Christ. So if you'll, be, if you'll uh, bow with me, and we'll take the Lord's Supper. Dear Lord, we're thankful for your Son offering his body on our behalf. We know the price for our sins is a broken body, a body that goes back to dirt. Um, and it is just, the sin in us is, is uh, what earns us that separation. Father, we're thankful that, that your Son offered himself in our place, that he has paid the price, that he has taken it upon himself so that we don't have to do that. We're here to remember that with this unleavened bread which represents his body. We're also here to remember that, that hope, the eternal life that has already begun. Those of us who have been baptized to, to wash away sin, those of us who walk with Christ in us each day, that our eternal life's already begun. We're here to remember that. Father, we bless, ask for your blessings. We ask for your give, forgiveness and love. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us bow to continue the memorial. Father, we're thankful for your son shedding his own blood where ours was due. We know that's always been the, the price that's been paid to, uh, to atone, to, has been the price of blood. Father, we know our blood was what was required. We're thankful that he's taken that upon himself. Father, we, um, Ask that you, what we remember that. We remember him taking our place. In the world around it, when somebody won't even give up their own place in line, or somebody won't take that extra step to do what's right to help somebody else out, your son gave his life, so we didn't have to. Father, we ask that you bless our lives in such a way that we bring honor to his name, bring honor to his sacrifice with each and every step. As we take this uh, fruit of the vine, which represents his blood, may we remember these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our song lesson is... Awesome God, if it's convenient, shall we stand? Our Awesome. 
All right, so we're continuing again our sermon series on God is faithful. You can trust him more than you can trust yourself. We're in the divided kingdom. I'm going to try something a little bit different today. I'm going to need feedback, all right? Um, I am going to do my best to give you an overview of this area as fast as possible. Here's the problem that we run into during this part of the scripture. There is so much going on at once, okay? And I want to give you everything without leaving it behind, but I also want to keep us going at a pace where we don't get caught in every single little detail. It's very difficult for me. It's not the way I normally preach. So this has been um, interesting and difficult for me even in my preparation. Um, so I'm trying some things because I don't want to keep you here for an hour trying to get it all out. Okay? So if I go too fast, let me know. I guess we'll slow down it. And if uh, you guys are liking this and you can handle all this all at once, give me the thumbs up and we'll uh, keep moving on. Okay. So... We are now at a place where we have to keep monitoring Israel and Judah. We've got the divided kingdoms. We've got two kingdoms going on. We've got two kings in every situation. We've got prophets who are talking to different kings at different times. And it gets very difficult. <coughs> try to give it to you as quickly <clears throat> as I possibly can um, in a way that we can understand it. So, in 2 Kings 13, Jehoahaz is now king of Israel. And Jehoahaz is like every other king of Israel. He's not very good. He's not very good. He starts to do things uh, uh, like worship the idols, and he's leading Israel astray. And if you remember, last, last week we talked about uh, the king of Syria and how he sent uh, one of his servants who had leprosy and that, that servant was healed and, and that he went back to the king of Syria and and that really impressed the king of Syria. And I said they, they left Israel alone, but they would come back, right? 2 Kings 13, starting in verse 1, says this. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahiza, king of Judah. So we got Joash, king of Judah. And then we got Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel and Samaria. And he reigned 17 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. I find it very interesting that at this point in Scripture, you see that some of the sin of the entire nation of Israel is starting to be credited to the kings. In other words, <coughs> we don't have exact specifics, but we could be, there could be an implication here in Scripture that some of the stuff that Israel was starting to enforce, maybe in their law, maybe in their government, was actually causing Israelites to have no choice but to sin. Um, that, could, that could be a possibility. I'm reading into the scriptures a little bit. But this is one of the times where you see a transition. Okay? It's not, it, it, there's a authority that has been given to this king where he says, which made Israel to sin. Very interesting part. I just wanted to point that out real quick. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazel, king of Syria. Here come Syrians again. And into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazel. Then Jehoahaz sought the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Syria oppressed them. So we have the king of Israel, Jehoahaz, who starts out in a place where he's leading Israel to sin. Syria comes down 
starts tormenting, starts persecuting, starts raiding Israel. And because of that, Jehoahaz has a change of heart. He has a change of heart, okay? And remember all the scriptures we've been reading where God is telling Israel through its prophets, if you would just return to me, right? If you would just return to me, all this calamity that I've prophesied, all this stuff I've told you you're heading towards, if you would just return to me, I'll heal your land. So you have this moment. Okay, now, there's a little blurb I want to throw in here before we move on because it's in this chapter. And Elisha has died. And here comes another, another familiar foe in the story so far, so far, the Moabites. The Moabites are now running through and pillaging and raiding Israel too. So you got Syria you got to worry about. You got the Moabites you got to worry about. You got basically all those people that they were supposed to drive out that were no longer supposed to exist on the face of the earth. They're still there, and there's still problems over and over and over again. <clears throat> An interesting point to point out real quick is they have their own moments. They have their own moments where they see God, they recognize God's power, and they change, but they go right back to, right? So in this, in this part, we have Elisha. He's, been, he's in his tomb, and... Well, let me just read it real quick. So Elijah died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen and the man was just thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now that should have been a reminder to the people who had lost their way, right? That should have been a reminder to the people of Israel, the power of God. I mean, this is one of the prophets of God. He's dead. He, his spirit is gone. He's just bones, right? He's that part of the scripture where it says, you know, from dust you have come and from dust you will return, right? He is at that part of the scripture in his own life. His physical body is there, but his spirit has left. But just touching the bones of this godly man brings someone back to life. I mean, that is a, that is a crazy part of the story, and I just didn't want to leave it out. Because yet again, here's another sign to God's people of the power of God. Another unmistakable sign in the midst of their turmoil. We go a little bit further down, 2 Kings 13. It says, now Hazazel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. I remember Jehoahaz has repented. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them nor has he cast them from his presence until now. So you have this, these prophecies of doom and gloom that are coming in because of where Israel's at. You have a king who starts out doing everything the other kings did but he repents. He changes his way. He seeks the favor of the Lord. And because of that, God shows compassion and drives out Syria. In comes the second king, Jeroboam II. Okay? And he fulfills Jonah's prophecy and does not walk faithfully with God. Now, what does that mean? 2 Kings 14. <clears throat> In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, 
began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by a servant Jonah, the son of Amatadi, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Now it's interesting. If you go through the, the prophecy of Jonah, if you go through the book of Jonah, there is nothing in there about Jeroboam. There's nothing in there about an evil king that improves or expands the borders of Israel. But what is there? There's a story of a godly prophet, a godly man, who has an enemy city that he's called to prophesy to, Nineveh. <coughs> Excuse me. Does anybody know what's significant about Nineveh? It's not just a random city God pulls out. You'll find the closer you study the Bible, the more you learn the details of the Bible, there's nothing random going on. Nineveh is a capital city. Do you know what country? Assyria. For those of you who know where we're going in this story, Assyria becomes a major player here in the near future. So, what do we find? We find a prophet of God who goes and he's telling Nineveh to repent. And you remember, he didn't want to. He goes the other way. He gets thrown off the ship. He gets ate by the big fish. Three days later, he rises. That's the whole prophecy of Jesus in the tomb, right? <coughs> and he gets to Nineveh, and he tells them to repent. And the whole city of Nineveh repents. And if you remember Jonah, at the end of the story... He's not happy. He's not like, God, you're amazing. You just took our enemy and made them repent in a single moment. No, that's not what he says. He says, man, I'd, I wish I was just dead. That's what Jonah says. I'd rather be dead than be the guy that did this. Despite Jonah's unwillingness, the word of the Lord still stirred the hearts of Nineveh led them to repentance, and because of that repentance, Assyria's capital city, and potentially all of Assyria, was spared by God. Same type of destruction was being prophesied. Here's the ungodly people, non-people of God. They're hearing this from a God that they do not worship. But when they hear it, they know the truth in it, and they repent, and they're spared. I find that interesting because what you see in this moment, well, let me read this part right here because this is going back to Jeroboam, the second, right? This is where it all gets confusing. We're going to have lots of names. The best part about this part of the scripture too is there are kings that are called by multiple names. Okay? Joash right here in these scriptures is also called Jehoash in other scriptures. And there's many kings that are going to come that have, depending on which scriptures and where you're looking at, have two, three names. 
that they're called by in the scripture. So I kept it Joash because the scriptures we're using today are all Joash, but we could have said Jehoahash too, okay? Just to confuse you a little bit more. But Jeroboam, Jehoahash, I mean, um, now I'm getting confused. Let me go back real quick. Yeah, Jehoahaz, okay? Jehoahaz was the repenting king. Jeroboam II was a non-repenting king. But look what it says here. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there were none left, bond or free, and there were none to help Israel. Nobody was coming to their aid. Nobody was going to save them from the fire. Nobody was going to rescue them. There was none to come and rescue them. But the Lord had, had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel. So they were getting ready for utter destruction, to be wiped off the map. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. Think about that. You've got one king who saves Israel because of his repentance. And you've got another king that God saves because of his word. Not because of the king of Israel. Not because Israel had turned and was doing better. They, they weren't doing any better. But because of his word, because of his promise, because of the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I just think that's a very interesting thing to think about as we're looking at this. You see it from both sides of the equation. Yes, God wants us to come to repentance, but even if we don't, God's going to be true to his word. Sometimes that could benefit you. Sometimes you could be on the wrong side of that coin too, as we're going to see later. <clears throat> Second Kings 15, I'm going to summarize this for you real quick. Israel goes through major changes. They go through five kings pretty quickly. And what you'll notice when I flip over to the scripture is that the bloodline is no longer there. There's no longer this solid bloodline that people are going through. No, the kings are coming from all over the place now. <coughs> okay? At the same time five kings are coming in is the time of Micah, Hosea, and Amos. All right? Here's your five kings. You see them. I've underlined them for you. We also, if you look at the fathers of them, son of, son of, son of, you'll notice they're not in the same families. We're getting people from all over the place, okay? I got to keep moving. Just a little side blip there. <coughs> Excuse me. I promise you I haven't coughed in a couple days, and here we go. Next interesting part. Amaziah reigns in Judah. This is that moment. You think Israel is, is uh, maybe has a chance to reunite. Maybe, has a maybe they'll work out their differences. Maybe they'll come to some sort of um, a reckoning now that they're both doing bad. Judah and Israel are both doing bad and, and evil in the sight of the Lord. Maybe somebody will come and have a reckoning and maybe they'll unite. No, it's, it's actually the opposite. King of Judah decides... He's going to go in, and he's going to take over Israel. We're having civil war. And it's the kingdom that we consider to be the more godly kingdom, right? That's actually attacking the northern kingdom. 
of Israel. But he attacks during the time of Jehoahaz, the king that repents, and he gets captured. The king of Judah gets captured by Israel. Now we have another king in 2 Kings 15, goes by two names, reigns in Judah fairly faithfully until near the end of his life, second longest reign of any king in the divided kingdom. Just a little interesting tidbit. Now, this is where it gets really important. Because I, I tell you, the kings, to give you the history of what's going on in the nation, I want you to keep up with what's going on in the nation. Okay? But I also told you starting last week that really the narrative was going to shift from the kings to the prophets. Alright? And during this time, there are three prophets, minor prophets we call them, right? But three prophets who are going through mostly Israel... Right now, the prophets are mostly speaking to the kingdom of Israel because the is Israel is the first part of the Jews, in the, uh, of the Israelites, that go into captivity. They're the, they're the first ones that reach destruction, okay? And so God is coming out heavy with his prophets, Hosea, Amos, and Micah. We don't have time to go through them individually. Uh, I encourage you to read them, and maybe Wednesday we'll uh, discuss Hosea and Amos and Micah a little bit closer. Okay, but there's three major things that you find in common with these prophets. And remember, they're speaking during this time we're specifically talking about. One is that Israel and Judah are both going to be destroyed, and they're both going to go into exile. Two is a plea to return to God. If you just return to God, all this will go away. Here's where you're headed. If you just return to God, everything will change. And then there's the restoration of Israel and the near being the return that was going to come even after they're in captivity, but also the restoration of the world that was going to come, as Doug just said, through Jesus Christ. Now I want to focus here a little bit on Micah. Because Micah stands out in this group of minor prophets. Because he has a little bit different message. Okay? The three unique things that Micah talks about in his prophecies is one, that the people will be waiting on God to bring salvation. They'll be waiting. When we get to the point, right? When you get to the point, here's an interesting thing to think about. When you get to... What do you want to call it? I guess you call it the precipice, right? When you get to the point of destruction, when Israel finally realizes they're surrounded by the enemy, even though they've lived now for generations and generations and generations godlessly, chasing foreign idols, worshiping false gods, right? Even though they've done it for generations, when we get to that point, they're going to do exactly what they did in Egypt. They're going to call out to God for deliverance. I find that to be, honestly, what happens still today in each person's individual life. Remember how we were talking about that with Israel? When we're looking at them, we're supposed to look at them like an individual life too? Like our life? <coughs> A lot of times people don't seek God until they've went through something terrible in their own life. 
A lot of times people don't acknowledge God until they've went through something terrible in their own life, until they've hit bottom themselves. Right? Another promise that Micah says is that a remnant will survive from the nations. You know, this is something that is congruent, consistent about God throughout all of Scripture. It's something you find that he keeps saying in the New Testament too. When it comes to the kingdom of God, you read Revelation. Revelation is not a good time for Christians on the, on, in the, on the face of this earth. It's going to be a scary, tough time for Christians on the face of this earth. If it reads, if it, if it goes the way it reads, the way many people believe it says it's going to be. But there will be a remnant, even in Revelation, that remains faithful to God. That remnant is very important. I just want you to keep remembering that remnant. It's going to come up more times than as we continue to go through this. And the third is this. Micah really starts to prophesy about the birth of Jesus. We know that now more than ever. And that's where I want to end today. With a prophecy from Micah chapter 5. Look at the details. Understand that this was written before captivity of Israel and Judah. Understand this was written during one of the worst times of Israel and Judah's history. Okay? This was written when God's people were so godless that God was going to use a godless nation to discipline his people. And look at the detail. Realize that this was written so far in advance of Jesus. This isn't something that we found a couple years before Jesus showed up. And look at the details and realize how much of this could not have been controlled. Specifically by Jesus. If he was just a person, just look at the detail of this prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, <coughs> who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Man, that's another thing you see over and over in the scripture. It's always that, that, that little, that minuscule, that little bit, that, 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 that part of the, of, the, of the equation that just doesn't think it's strong enough, okay? We can go through that a bunch too. From you shall come forth of me, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord <coughs> his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Now do you think that the Romans, that the Pharisees, that the Sadducees, that the Sanhedrin, that the, that the priest of Jesus' time could have ever imagined after everything they did to squander that movement? Think about it. The amount of persecution 
that comes to Christians over the next several hundred years, really, and still is, be, is happening today in this world, do you think they could have possibly imagined the growth that would come from Jesus? But here we are, 2,000 years later, the amount of stuff that's been done to try to destroy this movement, here we are. Think about this. This isn't belief based on nonsense. This is belief validated by real history. And the more and more we go into this, the more and more we're going to see this real history, this history that doesn't come from God's people but comes from the outside world, validating what's being said, what has been prophesied through the prophets in the Bible. Now, two quick take-homes and we're done. The first one is this. The unfaithfulness of Israel has brought about their destruction. Next, the next sermon in this series is all about the destruction of Israel. Okay? What I want you to understand is this. Listen, God, his long-suffering, his patience, his desire for all sinners to come home, it's real. It's there. But he is not going to un overlook unfaithfulness forever. He is not the father that, that the child can just do whatever he wants and eventually just runs over the father. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday night with the idea that the Lord disciplines those he loves just like a, a loving father disciplines his child because he loves them. This is the other thing I want you to understand about Israel. You can say it about Judah, but we're focusing on Israel because that's, the, that's where we're at in the scripture right now. Israel listened to all the wrong people. From the nations that they were surrounded to, to the false prophets that had found themselves inside the nation of Israel. Israel listened to all the wrong people. You think about the details that we've went through. The problem is this. They forgot how to apply the scripture to discern the times. In fact, we're going to find out. They forgot all about the scripture here real soon. They weren't even using it. They're in a moment that they should have seen coming from a mile away if they were just paying attention to the scripture. But they forgot about the scripture and because of that, they forgot how to apply it and because of that, they could not discern the times that they were in. They could not understand the times that they were in. I'm telling you, this is still a very valuable and important lesson today. There are a lot of Christians in the world that go to churches right now that are feeding them happy-go-lucky lessons that have very little to do with the Word. And yeah, I'm saying that bravely and boldly right now. There are a lot. Go on YouTube and watch them. They're out there. They have the biggest followings out there right now. There is a lot of people who come to church because they want a comfortable lesson that makes them feel good when they leave. And you know what? I don't want you to feel bad when you leave. 
But I'm going to teach the Word. And the Word's not always a happy ending. And here's the truth. Look at the world that you live in. Look at the culture of your country. And look at the Word of God. And put it to the test and discern the times that you live in. Don't be pulled in directions of a culture that leads us away from God. Stand firm in the word of the Lord. Stand firm for the Lord. Because I'm telling you, the whole world can be against us, but if we stand firm in the Lord, they can't touch us. They can't. And we're going to see that too. Because we're going to get to a point where there's only a few left. And they stand firm. And the most powerful countries in the world are there. And they can't touch them. Because at the end of the day, there is only one God, there is only one true God, and everything else is a false God, and everything else is a false religion, and everything else is just fake. It has no power, no authority over the name of Jesus Christ, and those who follow are promised to be protected by that power and that authority, because we are in God's will, and what God's plan is for our life, we will accomplish. Don't forget that. Even in times of uncertainty, even in times we didn't expect, even in our own country. Because Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all. And I'm telling you right now, man, it is more important than ever to say that exact thing. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood from the perfect sacrifice that he submitted himself to the cross for us? No one could take his life. He laid it down. Have you accepted? Have you been washed in that blood? Have you been forgiven your sins, become the temple of God, received the Holy Spirit, added to his kingdom? For those of us who have, again, I pray, that we are as faithful to God as he is to us. I know we're going to fail in that, but I pray that's what we strive to be. And then I pray we trust that the Lord's more faithful than we are to him, and we can trust him more than we can trust ourselves. Because God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. If you have a need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing.
Thank you, Matt. Thank each of you for being here this morning, whether you're here in the building or whether you're watching on uh, the virtual world. I have a few announcements before we close. First of all, I want to remind you that uh, April the 4th, which is Easter Sunday, we'll be returning to a more normal worship service. We'll begin the, the morning with Bible study for all ages at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10 a.m. Sunday evening will be a mask-required socially distant service for those that are not quite ready to uh, go the other route. So there's two choices for you. We hope you'll take advantage of one of those. That one, the evening worship service will be at 5 p.m. I have a couple additions to our sick list. Nancy Reichert had uh, some problems with blood clots following back surgery. She's very weak and uh, is in serious condition, so please pray for Nancy. Patty Wall was moved back to Addington Place, and uh, that's the mother of Mike Wall, and is placed on hospice. Please keep that family in your prayers as well. <clears throat> Amir Anderson, uh, a young man that is essentially grown up here among us, will be leaving for Navy basic training in April. So keep him and his new uh, venture in your prayers. Uh, we extend our sympathy to the Irvin and Lynn Nobles family as well as to Kyle and Katrina Nobles. Irvin and Lynn's grandson and Kyle's nephew, Billy Nobles, was killed on Friday. I coached Billy in high school football. He was a great high school football player. I understand he was a, a great husband and a great father. Uh, he leaves behind two children and, and a wife that's pregnant with their third child. So please keep that family in your prayers. Uh, reach out to them in any way you can. Also, uh, as was mentioned in the prayer, Susan Dugan lost her father last week after a long illness of battling poor health. And uh, please keep Susan and her family in your prayers as well. Thank you. Shall we stand for our closing song? Each step I take, my Savior goes before me, and with his loving hand, he leads away. And with each breath, I whisper, I adore thee. Oh, what joy to walk with him each day. Each step I take, I know. Holds a key that opens up the way.